This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. Lots of great stuff uh, on the horizon. I'm here joined by my uh, brilliant um, co-host, Kyle. So, Kyle, why don't you uh, say hello to everyone and tell us a little bit about what's been going on in your life. Oh, man. Um, hello, everyone. And, yeah, it's uh, January's over. It's already here and gone. Uh, February is upon us. It is. Yeah. And so, yeah, the new year, just getting back into the groove, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with, uh, you know, Midwestern weather. Mm-hmm. It might be 60 one day and 17 and snowstorm the next. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm I'm doing really well and uh, excited for the upcoming season of Lent, yeah. um, you know, regarding uh, life and movies both. And yeah, I don't know what else to say. It's uh, things are going really well. Yeah, no, no I, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's nice to have some good news, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, no, one hundred. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm happy about it too. I think that uh, it's always an interesting season liturgically as you transition out of Christmas into you know Epiphany, mm-hmm. and, and then you kind of enter a couple weeks of common time before you enter the season of Lent. Um, and so it's interesting to kind of think about that. I mean, in terms of films, too. I mean, this time of year is really big in terms of uh, gathering nominations and seeing, like, the direction the Academy is going. I mean, we'll probably touch on that maybe a little bit at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, where probably we can see the Academy's awards and Oscars and all those kind of things going this year. Um, obviously, some big things have um, made some splashes, and then some things have been curiously left out. But that's the way it is every year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. So anyway, today we're going to discover, uh, for those of you who are listeners, we've been uh, talking about this for a while, our kind of year in review, see uh, what we liked about last year. If uh, longtime listeners will know, we did this uh, last year around this time. Uh, but we're going to spend some time uh, thinking through our favorite movies of 2022 and just uh, bouncing some ideas off each other and getting our lists. I know that um, Kyle has his uh, full list up Um on uh, letterbox but also on our social medias you can catch that especially on instagram you can see exactly uh, some of the, all the movies he's got there we may not talk about all of them but if we don't cover a movie that you'd like to hear more of why kyle liked it so much yeah. uh, shoot him a message or shoot us a message and i can pass it along right on uh, but kyle why don't we start off by uh, you telling us what's that what's at the top of your list here this will replace our what are you watching uh right now uh segment but yeah what, what are some of the top movies of 2022 for you yeah, well, great question. Uh, I want to bounce back to uh, season of Epiphany. Yeah, uh, just because I had a brief, uh, have been thinking about the different seasons, and we focus on Advent and Lent mm-hmm. pretty heavily, mm-hmm. uh, cinematically speaking. It's fun, but uh, Epiphany uh, is interesting to think about too. And I was thinking about primarily uh, Close Encounters, mm. the third kind kind of movies, kind of the the looking up, the Spielberg gaze, the sky. Um, that are sci-fi influenced, so mm-hmm. th- that might be something to um, come back to in future oh, yeah. epiphany seasons. Uh, th- that sounds fun to to, to develop. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Um, and anyways, so yeah, best of twenty twenty two. The other thing to say about that is this. Yeah, again, uh, it's kind of weird. We were just discussing this a minute ago before we got on here. 
um, just about how some of these 2022 movies don't appear for uh, some of the best ones. Right. Uh, my favorite of 2022 uh, didn't show up in theaters or anywhere streaming until January of 2023. Mm-hmm. So it's frustrating for us non-professional critics uh, to kind of have to wait to make our list so late. But um, uh, but nevertheless, uh, to two of my top five, I watched you know the past two weekends. Mm-hmm. Uh, broker and living, which we'll talk about more. Right. Um, but yeah, my top top five were uh, Ambulance, which is the Michael Bay film from this past summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, broker, which are kind of you know those two movies are probably interchangeable for me. Um, and After Yang, which I've talked you know quite a bit about over right. the past year because that was you know a January movie from last year. Uh, Top Gun Maverick for sure. My one film on my entire list that I think was nominated for major awards mm-hmm. um, at the Golden Globes and the Academy Awards. Uh, Living, which I just you know mentioned, and like, yeah, that's my that's my top five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's How brilliant. about you, Hank? Uh, you know, I don't have a top five. I think that like I, I as everyone knows, like the movies that I watch are largely um, uh, street fair in terms of. Uh, their their work but I enjoy them and, and for me that's I think a, like the movies have always been a place of just kind of escape but I mean my yeah. number one of the year would be um, A Man Called Otto which I know is a, mm-hmm. a remake um, of, a, of a different film um, yeah European film fantastic film beautiful um, and things of that nature uh, the second would probably be um, Top Gun Maverick um, and we can talk about why that is here in a minute mm-hmm. um Third on that list for me would probably be Fall, hmm. um, which uh, I think I just had some resonance with just because some of the themes um, for me were significant. Four would probably be um, the uh, the Multiverse of Madness. And for, for me, for a lot of reasons, just like that character, I think some of the themes that came up in it that I think were really telling, I still contend that it is a better way of understanding multiversal responsibilities drama and tradition than mm-hmm. every everything everywhere all at once yeah um even though it's couched in the marvel cinematic universe some people scoff at that but i still think it did a better job of handling the themes that um everything everywhere all at once did as well um and then last i would say whale um and mm. I, this is a um i came to this decision difficult because there as i mentioned on my review of whale like there are some things about it that I, that I think it veered a little bit into the grotesque in ways that I think were unnecessary um, and ultimately I didn't <laughs> think that some of the characters developed the way that they should have but the, I think the thing that stood out to me the most were the um, the conversations around spirituality but also the relationship between Charlie the main character and Ellie his daughter um, and where that was and where it ended up and kind of the the like the the kind of grief that he experiences like over his like decision to abandon his family and his his kind of wrestling with that throughout the film and so um i and also i think part of it is just like i'm a big brendan fraser mark um, yeah and so there's part of it like that's right there but those are those are my probably main ones but i have not seen broker or living and so that might change mm-hmm. um, i almost got to see both of them last weekend because they're out in theaters right now and out even at like uh, bigger theaters too um broker um was a uh, was out at, uh, at the amc really in, in columbus yeah oh wow yeah there's only like a couple showings but um Anyway. Yeah, right on. Um, so I'm, I'm going to catch it there, hopefully, if I can. Um, if not, I'll, I'll probably make it over to the gateway if it's still showing there. Um, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, those are my top five. So, um, 
the the one that I love on your top five that is here is a because you know it's rare that a Michael Bay movie mm-hmm. would make it into a top five. I think uh, of someone's list of this nature. Uh, what stood out to you about Ambulance so much that you that you kind of have it so high up there for you? Yeah, right on. Well, just in going back to it, one, it does you know first of all mash up that like highly entertaining, highly mm-hmm. kinetic. Uh, which just means motion, just lots of motion going on, which sometimes, you know, with Michael Bay, at least with Transformers, can be unbearable because you can't (laughs) really even see what's going on uh, when he's doing close-ups of Transformers while they're they're in battle or whatever. Right. um, So definitely a downside to that. But when he does a smaller uh, movie, which he's done a number of over the last decade or so, uh, can be very uh, mm-hmm. impressive yeah. and and give us a different, you know, the, the Michael Bay um, approach. He's, an, you know, an auteur in his own way, so it's really interesting to explore him um, as the author of his own, you know, motion pictures, his own style, his mm-hmm. own um, thematic uh, things that he's going after. But uh, immediately drawn in the, in the first scene and sequence uh, when the ambulance runs to their first... Uh, little job which includes uh a you know eight or ten year old girl inside of a car that wrecked uh over top of a wrought iron fence and part of the fence has gone through her stomach essentially right um and so there's a similar uh scene regarding um wrought iron fences and another character an adult character in scorsese's bringing out the dead mm-hmm. um where uh, he is also in that situation where he's fallen and uh, what's that called when some impaled, he's yeah, impaled yeah. by the fence. Um, and anyways, and they both have scenes of when uh, the they bring in the saw to cut the fence so that they can move on. Anyways, both those scenes are significant. And to me, that was a very specific connection to that movie. Right. 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 Um, and so already it's, you know, it, it is, seems to be interested in more spiritual themes mm-hmm. than just what can we do, you know, with an ambulance in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Uh, but anyways, so, you know, they, the whole movie is set up with the brothers and, and, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal again being, you know, um, uh, Hollywood star and it feeling like this is his movie and, and whatever, but really, uh, after watching it a couple times, it's his brother's movie, um, and uh, Camille, who is the mm-hmm. EMT, right? Um, who is in the first sequence with the little girl, um, and she's kind of made to be made out to be more of a like very cold, uh, but efficient, extremely professional EMT who gets the job done and gets the job mm-hmm. done right and well, and and she kind of challenges her, herself. Uh, each time to meet a certain time quota and whatever, but she's easy. And like, as soon as she's done with that whole, what seems like traumatic uh, situation, you know, she's ready to go eat lunch. Right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That's right. right. Yeah. And so you get that picture of her, then she gets, you know, um, involved in this whole heist uh, situation with the brothers uh, in the ambulance. Most of the movie is them driving around, not, you know, nonstop. Uh, But she's kind of the, the key to the whole, like grounding mm-hmm. of what the action and what's happening. Um, and for her, it becomes a spiritual journey, which mm-hmm. I won't, if you've not seen it, yeah, it for yeah. everybody, but it's actually, I think, uh, extremely powerful ending uh, montage. 
Um, and the brothers, uh, one's a war veteran, uh, and the other is Jake Gyllenhaal, who's just really more into being a thief like his father. Yeah. Um, and uh, But they kind of play as like the two thieves beside Jesus. Uh, one is very, you know, uh, wrestling uh, with, you know, uh, some of his core challenges and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some of his... Uh, waywardness and who he wants to be mm-hmm. uh, and he seems more primed for embracing paradise with Jesus uh, where Jake Gyllenhaal becomes the like you know I'm I'm the antagonist uh, through and to the end yeah. um, and so uh, there's a lot of you know uh, salvation happening through that whole thing so anyways mm-hmm. um, a lot more really to uh, extract from all of that mm-hmm. but th- those three characters together um, make for a powerful uh, yeah. film and and really opens up and become and um, just becomes something unexpectedly beautiful to mm. me. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. Yeah, that's great. I it reminds me. I I have seen it. I liked it. Um, I you know the the part the, it's funny because part of me like the I always have this tendency and I think that doing this podcast is maybe kind of suspend that and like just really appreciate the story instead of being like the this has to make sense kind of thing. Right, right, right. When right. she's like performing basically oh, yeah. surgery on this uh fall because i mean the whole the whole drama is that they're in the ambulance with a police officer that they had uh um that is injured that's right as a result of the heist gone bad and so camille is keeping the officer alive while the other two are trying to figure out an escape plan um and there's all kinds of hijinks that happen but i mean one of the things is i forget what it was like he had like a ruptured i want to say is it spleen or mm-hmm. something like that yeah and she actually has to like remove or like move it and and like you know so she's doing surgery basically in this high-speed ambulance chase with while facetiming basically surgeons who are telling her how to do it from a golf course that's yeah. from a golf course yep. and she's an emt so anyway um that that's great but my favorite is that this reminds me of one of my favorite stephen king books uh, mm-hmm. called the running man mm. which um is, i mean for people who love 80s and 90s action cinema you'll know that there's an arnold schwarzenegger movie that goes by that name um it is supposed to be based on like mm-hmm. the character names are all based on people from yeah that but the movie is actually 1000 <laughs> percent different they just rewrote the entire story kept the names and the tv show wow um, theme now granted I like the running man with Arnold Schwarzenegger for like you know different reasons it was just a part sure. of my childhood but the book is fantastic um, and it reminds me of that because it, in one sense you've got the one brother who's the, the war veteran who goes like he leaves his house because you know of a like a medical debt and he, he is then in this heist and then the rest of the movie is taken up with that and then in the end it culminates in kind of in tragedy which is exactly kind of how that book uh, uh, goes and mm. so it's fascinating. It's a spiritual journey, and I, I, it's it's very short and compact. And for me, I like simple stories. Like uh, I, Mad Max Fury Road, for that same reason, it's just a car chase. Yeah. I mean, same thing. So absolutely, uh, I liked it for that reason as well. Well, I am dying to know more about Broker. To be mm. honest with you, um, if you want to share more about Ambulance, feel free. Um, but I have not seen Broker. I know that you're really high on it, and for that reason, it gets me excited. And so, um, anyway, yeah, take it away. Tell us about Broker. I have no context for this, and mm-hmm. so feel free to spoil anything you need to. But um, yeah. I'm happy to listen and sit at your feet in this moment and learn about Broker. Well, I think, yeah, we'll uh, save a more in-depth conversation after you, you have seen it. Um, but, uh, again, with this one, so it really sets it up in two ways for me. Uh, and I've written a 
fairly long part one uh, review about this already on my uh, letterboxd. But partly exploring, one, I think that he's uh, challenging some some core images in Bong Joon-ho's Parasite mm. uh, and even Snowpiercer. Um, and so Kurita, the director of this movie, is a Japanese filmmaker, and this is his first uh, movie being made in South Korea with South Korean actors. Um, so to me, it also feels like, yeah, like I'm <laughs> directly going in here to kind of challenge the, the narrative that, that we've seen from coming out of there from the past few years. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's probably my own, you know, conspiracy and not true at all, but that's, <laughs> I like to roll with that. Yeah. Um, anyways. Yeah. So from the very beginning though, there's a staircase, um, and there's a church and the whole context is about this baby box. And in South Korea, um, they have churches, uh, it seems like, at least in this movie, it's a church that has an open baby box for if you're getting rid of, don't want to keep your infant child, you can basically anonymously leave your child there and the church takes care of them and tries to find them a home. Well, in this story, there's also two people, uh, one, an ex-orphan, uh, now an adult, and another guy who... Um, runs a laundry place, seems to work at the church possibly. I'm not sure the connection there. But anyways, um, they actually do an underground broker kind of thing where they try to find, uh, and you find that it's more out of goodwill than it is um, human trafficking. Right. Um, but still, they're trying to find good parents for some mm-hmm. of these children um, yeah. and not just leave them in, in the orphanage. So, uh, so you have that kind of context, and then you have you know detectives who are kind of following the lead, and and then some more underground uh, characters who uh, are a threat to the situation. So you have that kind of you know context mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. and then you have the mother, uh, who is a young prostitute who left her child and who has now come back, um, and not so much to get her child back, but to participate in helping to find him a good right. home. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and so if you've seen any Karita movies, which I highly recommend, he's more and more becoming one of my favorite living directors. Um, these are core themes for him, kind of like um, families made up of people who are not blood families but become family, um, and issues of poverty um, and grief and the typical things that, uh, that, that I like, enjoy leaning into. So anyways, so there's that. The detective journey in this one, it's a female detective, and, and she's one of the great uh, South Korean actresses. But she's similar to Camille in Ambulance, is that she's definitely not the main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her journey is as spiritual and as important as anybody's. Wow, yeah. You know. um, and then t- for me, it also brings up, uh, which is something I've just recently researched, but Jesus as broker, uh, which comes out of John 10. There's a whole uh, thing I was, you know, like, 30-page essay or whatever, um, theological essay about the use of Jewish language around agent and whatever. But anyways, Mm. uh, John 10, I am the gate, uh, Jesus the shepherd, Jesus the broker Mm. um, in that. And so that has a lot of resonance to to the baby um, who has – the baby is the one bringing everybody together and everybody is being impacted and or transformed um, by the story. So there's just a lot uh, oh, yeah. going on with that in addition to um, 
every Korean movie I watch, I see images I've never seen before, mm-hmm. uh, you know, composed and that have a lot of meaning. So there's just a lot to explore with that one. Yeah. I also love, and I mean, I think you probably mentioned this too, because it, it is, you know, and obviously, you know, even if it's, I don't I wouldn't say conspiracy theory, I mean, this argument we're making, it's our podcast. Yeah. Anyone, anyone else who has a different opinion can do their own podcast. Yeah. But the, uh, uh, the grifting nature, it sounds like, just a parasite, and then also uh, Squid Games, which I know is a very popular mm-hmm. um, uh, TV show. Like this idea of, uh, um, like that, really life is about kind of greed in a certain sense, and I mean it actively resists that with a kind of a shift towards kind of goodwill in a different kind, like love as a kind of self-giving, sacrificial love, as opposed to the individual shaped and formed around ideas of greed mm-hmm. uh, which i think is really compelling just in kind of your your yeah. way of discussing it and obviously like lots of people love and i don't know why I consume this like this idea of this grifting mentality mm. this is about and i you know or conning you know that's that's really what's what uh, not squid games but the what parasite, um, parasite yeah. was about yeah um specifically and so like that there's in a certain sense a kind of like really powerful move towards the goodness um of the others and and like the the power that that like means and everything mm-hmm, like that. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anyway, I, I I love that. I I'm like I said, I'm really excited about finally going to see that. You know, the the question is whether or not I'm gonna have to stream it first or I'm gonna get to go actually see it. In yeah, the no, for sure, man. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's really great. Yeah, and so yeah, I was very vague about a lot of things there, but um, that's fine. Yeah, but it would be fun to definitely dig into, it, and I hope everybody else gets to see it. It should be streaming by the end of February. Yeah. Um, for everybody else to see it too, so maybe we can do it down the road. Yeah, if nothing else. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of cool, good stuff coming out too. Um, well, let's let's talk about Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Um, since that made both of our lists. Um, so, um, for me, I'll just go ahead and start. Like yeah, man. The, the, I I did not watch the original Top Gun until a couple of weeks before I watched this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. I had almost had an opportunity. I wish I would have actually done this to see it. Um, in theaters because during covid when the theaters opened back up they didn't really have a ton of new releases to market and so they showed older films yeah and one of the films they showed in like imax and dolby and these like large format theaters was the original top gun and i wish i would have gone to see it then because i think that would have been interesting just with the sound i mean because i saw it the top gun in in a large format theater but not neither here nor there you know that felt very familiar to me because it felt kind of like an old kind of 80s um, action film, yeah. And, and the the thing I loved about it was this uh, the story that they actually put in the main character of this kind of anxiety that he has about flying. I mean, obviously due to the loss of his wingman, um, partially, but kind of how he freezes up in um, in flight and stuff like that. He goes from being one of the best uh, pilots mm-hmm. to being this kind of uh, um, anxious fighter. Yeah, at the know. beginning of the original Top Gun. Right. Yes. Yep. yep. And in this film. You know, I, I, I love the shift to the fact that he's kind of like his career has not panned out like he thought he would. Like he didn't rise to the top kind of like Iceman did his, his uh, prominent counterpart. Mm-hmm. But, but he's kind of moved from place to place because he really only sees himself as a pilot and wants to be in the air and things like that. And and has really rubbed along a lot of generals the wrong way. And so I, I love that that story of like, wh- what's my place now? You know, and in some sense, like I, you know, I'm looking at my my parents and my parents' generation, you know, there's a they they watched that movie when they were quite a bit younger in their career, um, and uh, they, um, you know, now are older. Um, again, that that whole generation, and 
and obviously like Tom Tom Cruise, even though he is a lot older than he looks, um, he um, he represents for people this kind of transit like a, a central character of like their younger years, and now he's transitioning out mm-hmm. as they're transitioning out. And like, what do you do with that? How do you, what, what, is, what constitutes a life well lived? And in some sense, he's trying to tie up loose ends. He's trying to offer something good. I think this is ultimately like why I like whale too, is that he's trying to do right where he's done wrong imperfectly as he might. Um, and for sure, like I see that as like a central theme of Top Gun that I find super compelling. He's still the best fighter pilot around, which is my favorite piece mm-hmm. also too. Like he's still better than everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, like even the the Top Gun class that he's trying to educate and things of that nature. But I do like him trying to like uh, even like the awkward dating scene um, with the uh, oh man I'm trying to remember her name Jennifer Conley Jennifer Conley. Yep. Where um, it's not like the traditional 80s kind of like romance or right. anything like that. There's there's some awkwardness to it, like him trying to sneak out of a window at night so that her daughter right doesn't yeah, see. Yeah, right. Anyway, he gets caught. And he gets caught. I just I find all of that to be very compelling um, as a, as a story. Um, this kind of like what um, I always call it. Like there's there's these great genre of films as coming of age film. And there's always, but there's a second genre I feel like of people like coming, re-coming of age in a certain sense, like um, finding their place now in a different world that, or even finding their place in a world that doesn't have any room for them. Yeah, no um, doubt. And anyway, so I talked a lot. Well, yeah, well, there, yeah, it's okay. And there can be uh, two classic rites of passage, mm-hmm. and one is in adolescence, and the second yeah. is in midlife. Right. Yeah. 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 So why did this make your list? Yeah, man. Um, well, for one, I'd love, so this ties into also what I love about the Rocky Creed, Mm. uh, stuff, which we'll be digging deeper into later. But, uh, in the original Top Gun, uh, hopefully you've seen it by now, but his, uh, his dude, oh, I don't know, Wingman, is that the guy they, who's with them? That's not true. But anyways, Goose. So there's two people at each plane. I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. Um, but Goose uh, has a – there's a tragedy that happens. This is what really knocks uh, Maverick out of competition in uh, the original Top Gun. Uh, so there's an accident, and his bud, best buddy, Goose, who has a wife and kid, uh, who we've already seen in the movie, ends up uh, hitting his head and, and dying played by meg ryan right like she's the, yeah 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 a early very meg young, ryan role yeah a very young early meg ryan role yeah and so that actually you know brings about a number uh, in that in original top gun uh even then maverick has to go through a kind of like grief transition uh questioning and everything's kind of thrown up in the air for him and and anyways but then you know it kind of comes back into more of a classic you know action movie by the end of it uh but with maverick like that again like rocky balboa part six uh or in moving into the first creed movie you really get something that actually is explicitly about the grief of the character mm-hmm. um and still things to reconcile so in a, interestingly and this is not my conspiracy theory but it's uh out there in the in the internet somewhere uh but the whole first sequence the mock 10 sequence um is ambiguous about what happens uh, in the plane itself uh, when he breaks whatever that you know mm-hmm. limit is. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And then the next thing you see is him, uh, you know, end up in some diner restaurant somewhere. 
Uh, but the conspiracy theory is is that he died in that Mach 10 crash, and the, the whole rest of the movie plays out like a kind of purgatory of him like working out uh, stuff in his life, which is kind of interesting. To That's think fascinating. About. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but either way, even if it's that's not actually what happens, it's certainly indicative of where things go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and but anyways, uh, beautifully. So then uh, Goose's son, who's little in the original Top Gun, is now. Uh, we get to catch up with him and and the kind of relationship he and Maverick have had over the years, which has not been good. Right. Yeah. Maverick has stepped in and tried to keep him out of uh, harm's way, so to speak. Uh, something that Rooster's not, you know, okay with. Either, anyways, they, of course, end up uh, together in this uh, episode, mm-hmm. uh, you know, military episode thing that they, they need training for and they need specific specialized skills and whatever, right? So right. it bring, brings them together. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyways, of course, there's lots of great, you know, conflict and kind of wrestling and figuring things out. And a lot of that's on Maverick's, you know, end uh, quite brilliantly in the movie. Anyways, the reason I fell in love with it for sure is that it does uh, express its its spirituality when they finally won. Uh, Rooster really confronts a core fear of his in one of the final one of the final uh, action when Maverick gets lost and ends up in this like snowy area. So the snow is our traditional kind of water mm-hmm. baptism transformation. Oh yeah, transformation is happening. Goose, of course, ends up with her. Um, Rooster ends up with them, and they actually have like real honest conflict mm-hmm. uh, time together. And then they have to help each other, like, you know, survive that situation. Mm-hmm. So you have the snow, which is, you know, baptismal, and then you get over to the old aircraft from the original Top Gun, which is like a fun little, you know, gag or gimmick. But yeah. in a way, you know, when they find it and get it going, it's like it's been this, you know, in this cocoon. Uh, sitting for a long time and as they come out and get it going it's almost like a butterfly right yeah um, that they're both flying away in yeah. uh, together back into the two person cockpit that's right um, and so a transformation you know has has legitimately taken place um, and more than just you know defeating the enemy you know uh, forgiveness and reconciliation is a real mm-hmm. you know in depth part of the movie yeah and yeah. it's hard with uh, I don't know if you feel this way because I also watched the movie Devotion which I thought was a really good film yeah. um, I did not see that yet. yeah I, I think it, ha- it covers a lot of these same themes but also with the undercurrent I mean it's a true story um, undercurrent of like the kind of racism that prevented a lot of uh, uh, African American pilots from making it into the academy the first one who really does who is a major pilot, uh, fighter pilot uh, specifically in the Korean War, yeah, um, but the uh, same kind of theme here. But the uh, one of the, I, I struggle. I don't know if you feel this because I know we have similar sympathies when it comes to peacemaking and those kind of natures. I, I struggle with war movies, right, mm. for that reason. But in some sense, the war, like war, as a metaphor, is a helpful way to understand. So, like for example, like Fury, uh, that's one, that's probably one of my yeah. favorite war movies because it does show this very like rough, like this how the horror of war really mm-hmm. with it. Hacksaw Ridge would be another, mm-hmm. um, things of that nature. But um, you know, this the thing that kind of grated against me in this movie, and maybe this is done on purpose so as to avoid any avoid any particular kind of like enemy like creation. But it's so nondescript when it comes to the like the forces that they're fighting. Like there's they're just kind of referred to as the enemy, yeah, 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 the yeah, conflict. Right. Like anytime yep. you see inside the cop, cockpit of an enemy, full face coverage. Yep. Like you can't tell. So I thought that was really interesting um, that they, because obviously, like when the first Top Gun came out, it was 
um, is Russia. Yeah. Right. And they could have leaned on that, I guess, again, but um, they chose not to. And that's kind of a nondescript, like everyone's the enemy kind of thing, but nobody's the enemy at the same time, mm-hmm. which is another conversation for another time. But that graded on me a little bit. But I did love that that final like movement of the like you said, the butterfly coming out of the mm-hmm. cocoon and this this kind of reconciliation and like the relationship he has with Iceman in this movie. Yeah, I feel like is a really beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Um, and obviously, like some of that has to do with my feelings about Val Kilmer itself, you know, and sure. kind of, um, his his in a, like you know the the his kind of inability to act these days because of what's happening with his vocal cords and things of that nature, and really being a big fan of Val Kilmer. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So um, I, I still I still Iceman can. Iceman was great. What's that? Iceman was great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, Val Kilmer to this day. You know, I know people are going to disagree with me, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed Batman Forever. Um, so <laughs> I just liked that film a lot as a kid. Yeah. Just, anyway, well, that, no doubt. If I could pick any Batmobile, it would be that Batmobile. Mm. But anyway, that's, that's uh, a good conversation. Or that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that would be that would be a great conversation. Actually, I, I would love to know which Batmobile you would you would want to have if you could get it. But that would be mine. So you have yeah, mine right on. Okay. Well, cool. Um, yeah, uh, I'm looking at your list here, and I want to ask you about you know we've talked about this a little bit over the course of the the podcast last year. And I mean, all of these films specifically, like I remember a year ago, almost to the day when you talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Pearl and X were two that you talked about frequently um, throughout the year. And then we did a podcast on Nope um, yep. and Black Phone. I know it's kind of just outside of maybe your top, um, yeah, it's in there, top yeah. list, but it's still yep. there. Yep. Um, so, um, we mentioned this a little bit, but talk to me a little bit about like why the horror genre is kind of standing out to you as a really meaningful medium to communicate the kind of stories that you find most compelling in cinema today. Because you have a lot of them represented here. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, it's certainly also part of, you know, I mean, there's just a lot more ima- imagination, mm-hmm. you know, potentially going into some of these, even though we keep rebooting, you know, Halloween or uh, whatever kinds of um right uh or scream you know i think there's another one coming out in march oh yeah um which is fine <laughs> yeah and and obviously texas chainsaw is one that's been rebooted a number of times but this one kind of you know went its own direction which i thought was a lot of a lot of fun but yeah just an interesting way to really you know again uh i might you know hate some of these movies as much as i, I love them and <clears throat> um for their politics or their, you know, cynicism or different things that, mm-hmm. that, you know, I combat. But again, like there's no, and I think there's, um, you know, a debate even within quote unquote, the horror community mm-hmm. around elevated horror versus, you know, you oh, exploiting horror as a way of, you know, exploring trauma and, and whatever. But I don't know. I, I love all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'd love the ability to engage, with characters in extreme situations um, and just allowing for something again in X uh, just the, the constant television uh, preacher who has, you know, is a big plot twist at the end. Um, the, the church service happening uh, as you see at the gas station, as you see at different locations and certainly running mm-hmm. at the house um, during and, and after all the events <clears throat> have happened you know, give it a whole other kind of uh, place to re- things to wrestle with, um, and and to contrast 
mm -hmm. know, what you've just seen. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just think that's super interesting. Pearl, uh, which I, I may or may not have talked about uh, much yet, but Pearl has a way of going back to the 1920s and looking at, again, early industrialization, uh, Pearl's daughter who lives on a farm and she hates farming and she wants to be <laughs> yeah. on stage and she wants to be seen. She wants to be a dancer. She wants to be in the movies, uh, which are obviously very new mm -hmm. at that time. Uh, and she's being seduced, right, by quote unquote pop culture mm -hmm. uh, and despising her, her mother who's strict and despising her responsibilities at home. And you see, you know, this modern shift that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so it has a great way of, again, going to horrific uh, spaces and, and limits to, to explore that further. Yeah. Um, and has a lot of great subtext, you know, coming along with that. Yeah. Um, and so those two in particular, and, you know, the third one is being made, um, that I'm just super interested to see what happens with that. But I think, yeah, just so much to extract from that. Mm -hmm. Um that you may or may not get um, from, you know, again, the kind of big ticket movies or definitely. Yeah. And they were both a 24, right? The, uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And they, um, I, do you know if the third one is going to jump back to the X timeline or is it going to stick with Pearl and kind no, of, no, so it's a sequel to, to X. Okay. So it's kind of her leaving whatever, you know, that, um, place, hell place that she was in, uh, and going to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see. We'll see what they do with that. Yeah, I'm excited to see it as well. I, I these are movies I need to catch up on myself, um, just because I know that you speak so highly of them, and um, that matters to me. And so I want to check those out. I mean, I think there's a ton of movies on here. I just, I mean, Broker and Living, for example, I haven't had enough time to uh, check out yet. Yeah. Um, I think one one final thing I want to talk about just briefly is uh, Father Stu. And uh, oh, yeah. let's hear kind of, you know, your thoughts on that. Um, I, I, I like this movie for a particular reason. I think overall the theological message I have problems with, but I like uh, – here's one element I like of it. Mel Gibson has brought kind of faith films into, I think, um, more of like a I – don't, I don't want to say respectable – but like, there's a categorical difference between Fathers Two and like God is not dead. Yeah, you know, yeah, in yeah. terms of the artistic quality that he brings to it, yeah. and the kind of like gritty. I mean, like Stu is somebody who's he's not a polished character, right? And I really deeply appreciate that. Um, and I Absolutely. think the scene that um, in the movie where you know Father Stu like has a kind of Christ encounter in a in a certain sense, like mm -hmm. I think that is spot on. Um, yeah, uh, and I I love that that scene so much but i really would like to hear uh more than anything kind of like what you what you appreciate about this film just so i can i can learn your perspective on this one yeah uh well this may or may not be the theological issue you um are struggling with or disagree with yeah um but i don't know i was just profoundly moved by of course partly because um the disease that, that's you know taking over his body and you know, right. impacts this um but you know it's his legit fight to you know, uh, and grit, um, to, uh, be resilient and move into what he feels called to, which is being a priest. Um, and before I get all the way there, <clears throat> I also appreciated, uh, when he goes with the more innocent priest mm -hmm. to the prison. Um, and, and that I've, you know, I've been in the prison as well through lower lights and I'm definitely more like the innocent guy who was struggling to f find connections. I actually showed some clips from Rocky in there to try to like build a bridge. It worked. 
Um, oh, nice. Yeah. And anyways, uh, but loved that scene and loved um, Stu's ability to immediately make a connection um, and just the need uh, for that and for us to um, allow for the authority. This was certainly true when I was working at Lower Lights, uh, working with women uh, coming out of prison, coming out of prostitution, um, and having this deeper inner authority, you know, mm-hmm. um, that could only come from, you know, having gone through such difficult circumstances, um, and coming out, you know, with stronger faith than I may ever, you know, know. Yeah. So, uh, really, really profound, um, in, in that sense, but I enjoyed that scene. Um, but the other one, yeah, coming back to where I was going originally was just the prostration, which is a practice of, you know, laying down on the floor, mm-hmm. uh, face down, uh, at a time of, um, ordination and which my wife just went through in the Anglican church. Yeah. Um, and so I think when I, you know, uh, Instagrammed about it or whatever, you know, my phrase was prostration is transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's also just been a personal part of my own journey in the last five years, I would say, of really coming back to embracing a concept such as submission, Mm -hmm. um, in scripture and, and theology and really wanting to, Mm -hmm. um, uh, embrace that and, and Mm -hmm. not resist it or resist the language or resist the discomfort or resist the conversation that triggers in people, you know, all those things. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know, once we get into all that, you know, visually with the character, and it really, the beginning of the movie is fine, uh, but it's pretty cliche, you know, biopic stuff. But in the second half, as and, and even Mark Wahlberg, you know, moving into this kind of acting, which I feel like he did a really good job of. Yeah, absolutely. But it really becomes, yeah, it really opens up uh, the relationship between him and his dad and his mom and, and, and everybody brings together and all of that. But, yeah, it just becomes something else. Um, and I was just very moved by that. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I like, I would agree with all of that and say that that is one of the compelling pieces of it. I think I just really like Mel Gibson as a director. That's probably not a very popular opinion, but I liked a lot of his films. I, I think The Passion of the Christ, you know, for all of its, yeah. I think, fa- like flaws, I think it has a really powerful way of communicating a story. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think, it, like, even Mel, I mean, Granted, I, I just I think I just like Mel Gibson in terms of an actor too, because I, I one of my favorite Christmas movies is now his uh, Fat Man uh, Christmas. <laughs> movies. I don't know why it's just so compelling. Yeah. Me, but, um, the uh, the thing I, I like about the film is the res- the theme of resilience and also the community. I would have liked, and this is just a pet peeve, because like the film was kind of sold off the fact that Stu made this huge impact, and you see some of that in the prison. Like he's able to connect with the prisoners really yeah. well, but. I would have liked to have seen more of him connecting with other people and why he was so popular amongst like the laity for um, like, like what was it about his approach other than just kind of those few brief moments? Cause really yeah. largely this story is almost not even about his, the clerical side of things. It's more about almost this kind of struggling family dynamic, mm-hmm. right. And him kind of sure. him reconnecting with his father and his parents through that reconnecting in a certain way. Um, and, and I, you know, obviously his father, Mark Wahlberg is played by Mel Gibson, who is behind the film to begin with. Um, you know, and so I, I loved that, that kind of theme yeah. of like forgiveness, reconciliation too. And in a certain sense, like the reconnection of, his dad to the faith through his son's faith itself. Um, Absolutely. The the issue that I have, this is just the theological qualm because this is one of my big emphases in theology is, is the problem of evil. 
and for for him yeah. the fa- for father Stu, um there's a sense in which what's happening to him is completely divine ordained um and that's a that's a strain of catholic theology that you know is much older than anything that i could critique in you know four or five minutes like yeah thomas aquinas believes this and catholics believe this and then this is mel gibson too i mean this shows up in for sure. signs yeah yeah uh, you see that with, uh, but that's an M. Night Shyamalan movie, but still, that's very much a, a part of Mel Gibson's faith, is he understands this deep sense that everything that happens is a result of direct divine involvement. And I, and I theologically disagree with that claim. I think there's more openness for kind of creation being fallen, and so there are these things that kind of happen with it, and God's only purpose in redemption is, uh, in suffering is its redemption. And there's a whole series of movies that I think detail this really well. Everything from the Watchmen, uh, to one of my favorite Clint Eastwood movies, which is Gran Torino. Mm. Um, and I think both of them handled the problem of evil differently. And I think Gran Torino shows this kind of really Christological account of how God enters into suffering rather than the, uh, the picture of God you get out of The Watchmen um, with Dr. Manhattan and things mm-hmm, of that nature. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you need something you need to write about. Yeah, I do. I, I, I really do. I think that that's like something that I've been sitting on for a while because the Watchmen is, well, anyway, we don't watch it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'll, don't get me started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, the father's too, like that's the element that didn't sit well with me. But what I liked at the end is his kind of sermon where he talks about like, you know, mm. his suffering united to Christ's suffering on the cross yep. is the ultimate thing that gives him solace. And I think theologically that's spot on. Um, you don't need his, um, the, the theological lens to get there. Um, that he has of its being divine ordained. But I do think that the spirituality of like locating one's sufferings within the sufferings of the cross can be a deeply healing, powerful, and meaningful spiritual exercise when one is going through suffering. Sure. And gives that authority that you're talking about on the far side of that. Because once you know what that is like, once you've been into that, it kind of gives you a sense of, um, and I'm going to use this language very particularly, compassion. Yeah. Um, because uh, that's also the kind of compassion that I think that Christ experiences from the cross for humanity um, in the, the sayings from the cross that you read during on Good Friday um, as we kind of remember the crucifixion. Um, and we'll obviously we'll get there with our podcast into Lent this season. But, um, but yeah, so I, like, I had those qualms, but I think it also provides a great launching point to talk about these issues as well. Yeah. No, it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, any other kind of things you wanted to mention here from 2022? Obviously, you've got a lot of things on the horizon. Um, not a lot of these movies will probably win awards. Um, as we all saw, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once is kind of receiving some top billing in terms of the award season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and we'll just kind of see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, no, right on. Right on. Um, but I think, yeah, as you and I discussed, we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into Rocky and Creed over the next uh, month leading up to ash wednesday so that's very exciting yeah absolutely i i am also looking forward to that those films for me have a very special place in my heart and my family's heart and so i am also i think i just saw this morning the uh they released another trailer for creed Mm three and so that one i am very excited about to see what's gonna happen with it's gonna be really good for me boxing movies like have a uh i mean it's a struggle i mean I love that theme. Like it's, it's a spiritualized sense of struggle. So, well, no doubt. Yeah. Cinematically speaking. And again, I think war movies work this way too. Cause when I, I worked with veterans for a time, uh, many of them back all the way back to Vietnam, but typically actual war veterans hate war movies because mm-hmm. they're not realistic. 
um, and that's not the experience. But a war right. movie is great, great way to tell a story, mm-hmm. um, and bring you into those experiences, and again tell you know whatever kind of spiritual journey or or whatever. Um, and uh, boxing is very much the same way. Oh and, yeah, and just like the ultimate um, in terms of. Uh, yeah, all of it. I mean, the uh, the fighter with, again with Mark Wahlberg, yeah, Christian Bale, um, is a great one. We could go on and on, um, oh, yeah, down yeah. the line with, uh, with boxing War- movies, Warrior with Tom Hardy, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, anyways, yeah, we're, we're gonna dig into that. I'm very excited, absolutely. Well, that about'll do it for us today. Uh, there's lots of good stuff on the horizon, so stay tuned. Uh, but we'd love to know your lists, um, yeah, what any of our films uh, hit on your top list. But please do go check out, um, uh, Kyle's letterbox. I think that especially for that part one of that review of Broker, but also just to see his entire list of 2022 um, and just kind of reach out. Tell us what you think. Uh, we'd love to answer some questions if you have them. And thanks for those who have uh, submitted a review already on Apple Music. We appreciate you so much. And uh, we hope that you'll leave a review wherever you listen to us. Helps other people find us. But until next time, be well, stay safe, and we'll see you here next time on the Art House Road Show. Thanks, everyone. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.